This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. There is no shortage of information about health and well-being. The trouble is discerning what's accurate. Dr. Norman Swan is Australia's best-known health reporter, and he's just written a book, So You Think You Know What's Good For You, and he joins us today. Good morning, Dr. Norman. Hi, Sam. Um, first things first, I can't imagine how busy you must be releasing a book in the middle of lockdown where everyone's turning to you for health advice. <laughs> it's, uh, no, 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 it's fine. Well, why did you write it? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Fund- fundamentally, it was occupational therapy during the first year of COVID. You know, I was fed up, fed up with COVID and uh, wanted to do that. But I've, I've been meaning to write a health book for many years. And I get very frustrated with health books on the bookshelves because they, they do two or three things. One is that they give simple solutions for complicated problems. And um, there was an American humorist called H.L. Mencken about a century ago who said, uh, paraphrasing, for every complicated problem, there's a simple solution and it's always wrong. And the other thing that they do is they wag their finger at you and they tell you what to do Mm. rather than saying, well, you're an intelligent adult. You You make up your own mind about stuff. So really, and what I've done in my broadcasting over the years is give people the information they need to make decisions, and it's up to you. And what I say very near the beginning of the book is just know what you want. And then knowing what you want can draw in the information that you need to actually make the decisions possible. And people being misled about things, and there's a lot of health anxiety. I keep on coming across people who are anxious about stuff. They're anxious about what to eat, low-carb, high-protein, vegan, vegetarian. What supplements should I be on? I'm only getting six hours sleep a night. I've been told that's going to give me dementia. We've got a nation, we've got an epidemic of insomnia because people are anxious about insomnia. Mm. Um, and and I, I'll have succeeded by the end of the book if I've just made you less anxious and focused on actually what counts. Why is there so much anxiety about health and well-being? Well, first of all, in the last year, people are far more in, focused on their well-being and health and well-being. And the, 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 the whole COVID pandemic has educated people about health and the body at such a speed that has been, has been unprecedented. Hmm. But I also think prior to why we're so anxious is there's conflicting advice out there. You hear one day that something's good for you, the next day it's bad for you and causes cancer. And there's you know, it's zigzagging all the time and you get uh, Pete Evans standing up and saying the Paleolithic diet is wonderful neglects to tell you that in the Paleolithic period, people died at the age of 28, and so on and so forth. It's You're just getting bombarded with conflicting information, usually about tiny, tiny little aspects of life rather than the whole picture. And what I try and do in hopefully a readable way, and hopefully a funny way, I mean, I also have succeeded by the end of the book, not only if I've settled some of your anxieties, so I've made you laugh a few times um, and, you know, and and chuckle. And it all started off that I was giving a, I was giving a lot of talks to people who were probably aged in their 30s and 40s. I suppose, roughly speaking, millennials. Mm. Very health conscious group of people. You're one of them. Yep. And very health conscious, very well read in health, and yet very anxious. And instead of and I learned very quickly to stop giving talks and just go in and they could ask me anything they want. And so I knew what they were interested in. So this is not, a, a, there's no question and answer in this book, but it, but it's the topics that I know interest people. And then what I realized is the topics that were interesting millennials are the topic that interests everybody. Yeah. And, um, and the, there was an opportunity just to clarify 
a lot of stuff. I think it's it's so true about this book. I've got it in front of me, and the way that you work through it, it's like a a book about everything. You cover so much in this, but still in a concise and accessible way. Why is it important for you to empower people with knowledge through a book like this? I, I don't use the word empowerment in the book, but I use the word control. Mm. I, I spend a lot of time on psychology and how we think and how we feel. And I talk about how the mind and the body are one. They're not separate things. They're the same. What happens, what we eat affects our mind and our feelings and our how we think and feel. And how we think and feel affects the rest of our body. Some people resist that idea because they say, oh, well, the doctor's telling me it's all in my head, but that's actually not what you're being told. It's just that the mind and the body are one. And one of the most important things in life, which determines a lot of other things, is is really a, a notion of control. Now, what this is actually is how free do you feel you are to make decisions of your about your life and how pressed are you by the external environment into a set of behaviors over which you have no choice it's usually described in the workplace where you've got a lousy boss and you're told what to do and you're micromanaged and you're working to the clock and you know and it's absolute hell but single parents with three kids on a pension they they experience this as well they've got no latitude in their life for freedom to actually make decisions and kids can grow up in that environment where they're and what it results in is chronic stress so it's not the acute stress of of uh, you know going on the big dipper or the ride of death which by the way i never do it's the chronic erosive stress of hating your job not enjoying your life feeling you have no freedom and by the way people with cancer experience this as well Within a matter of weeks of getting the cancer diagnosis, they feel you know you could have a PhD, you could be as wealthy as you like, but you 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 you've abandoned your life to the oncologist. And you know, good oncologists understand this and get around it. But some people feel they've lost control of their lives, and it's very erosive and it affects your whole body. It affects your immune system, your cardiovascular system, and so on. And this is not soft and fluffy stuff. This there's hard science behind it. That's right. I, I'm curious to ask you, uh, Dr. Norman, 50 years ago, uh, smoking was the done thing. And we now know the impact of smoking from 50 years ago. I'm curious to know, in 50 years' time, what is it you think that uh, society will look back on from today and say, I can't believe we used to do that? Uh, air pollution, climate change, um, the, you know, the effect of heat on the environment, the effect of um, air pollution, the um, you know cities becoming less healthy that that external environment uh, housing insecurity now this what's this got to do with health it comes back to that control thing when you read the book you'll understand how pervasive that is on your health and well-being and there's now lots of research around the world that if you get that wrong um, kids missing out on education losing hope in life that is that is a life shortening experience. Um, those are all the th- you know not recognizing the importance of uh, education and equal opportunity. Those things actually will affect our lives in fifty or hundred years time, and we may well see you know giving freedom to global food companies to feed us empty calories that are very cheap with no control over them which creates an obesity epidemic, which might turn back the clock in terms of life expectancy. Hmm. We'll say, why didn't we do anything about that? Well, it's because some politicians said to us, we don't want to create the nanny state. But in, in saying that, they also gave freedom 
to the global food industry to do what they want. People have looked to you over the last year, especially for health advice. And, you know, the Corona cast has been such a huge thing that you've created and been part of. You know, you are on the front of this book described as Australia's most trusted doctor. How does not that... my words. I hate... <laughs> not my words. I hate to do this marketing, but yes. <laughs> well, I mean, there's Dr. Harry and Dr. Chris Brown as well out there. They're, they're pretty trusted as well. Um, yeah. But I would, you know, how do you feel being that person who's in the spotlight giving such, you know, often life and death information? How does that weigh on you? Does it weigh on you? It, it's, it's weighed on me heavily during COVID, um, particularly around the vaccine debate. And you think about things very hard and very carefully. So Mm. you might be quite relaxed about the way you communicate it, but there's a lot of thought that's gone into how and whether you should cover a particular story. And when it comes to health stories in general, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the bucket and doesn't even see the light of day because even to criticise it in the light of day gives it prominence it doesn't deserve. So I'm thinking about that all the time. Mm. And I suppose I've got used to doing it, so I don't get overly anxious about it or keeps me up at night. But there have been things during COVID that have kept me up at night that I'm really worried about and worried about the message that you're giving. Because we are on a knife edge and you give the wrong information, it could really mislead people. At the moment, as we speak, uh, there's a big debate about the AstraZeneca vaccine and whether people my age should be going for it or not. And there's been confusion in the media is that frustrating for you? And, and how do you see a way forward here with promoting vaccination rather than creating confusion? Well, I can't control what the Prime Minister says. And uh, I gave up on that. Well, I never even started on that one, whatever the, whoever the Prime Minister is in power. Um, so the, the messaging has not been great throughout this. And you know, at the beginning, we thought it was good enough just to have a doctor with a stethoscope around his or her neck to tell us it's going to be OK. And that's, that was the answer. And, when New Zealand, Singapore, Britain, America were using their creative advertising agencies to the full to actually have really innovative campaigns to convince people to be vaccinated. And now we we do have a dilemma is that we've not got the supply of Pfizer that we need. And we've got the Astra vaccine, which really should be reserved for people over 60. But it's okay under 60 to have it as long as you know the risks. And the risks are not very high. But you've got to talk it through with your GP so you really understand whether in your case, the risks outweigh the benefits and whether it's worth waiting. But for a lot of people at the moment, the sick to death of this in and out of lockdown and hanging every day on a number of cases and wondering what's going to happen next, and they just want to get covered. And if they want to have Astra then and they're under 60, then they should simply have a discussion with their doctor about the risks versus benefits and make up their mind. Hmm. What do you think? I mean, Australia is about, I think, around 5% fully vaccinated. What What is going to improve vaccination rates so this doesn't go on and on and on forever? Um, having an adequate supply of Pfizer is going to improve vaccination. As soon as the Pfizer comes on stream in large numbers, you'll see queues around the corner. Australians are a very good vaccination rate, 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 nation. I, I believe the true rate of hesitancy in Australia is maybe somewhere between 3 and 10%. It's a tiny number. We, you know, 95% of us get our kids immunised in the first year of life. We're a really good immunising nation. Um, so vast majority of us will get immunised when we're not worried about things. And they're worried about the Astra vaccine. 
in Britain, they're less worried about the Astra vaccine because they've got thousands and thousands of cases each day and they're worried about COVID and it's in their face. And that may stimulate more people to have Astra here and that's perfectly fine. I mean, it's not a bad decision to go and get Astra, but you just got to do it carefully if you're under 60. Over 60, I wouldn't even think about it twice. Get the Astra done, get the second dose in. I've had my first dose. I'm going to have my second dose early because I just want to get covered. But that's between you and your doctor and also it's not, it's not doesn't match the rules at the moment. But nonetheless, you just get that done, get it into you. And almost certainly you'll get a Pfizer booster towards the end of the year, which will just top you up. Hmm. But just get going. Dr. Norman Swan, uh, congratulations on the book. I don't know how you managed to pull it off, considering the uh, pressure that was on you last year to do Coronacast and all the other uh, press stuff you did. Uh, it is called So You Think You Know What's Good For You, and it is available now. Really appreciate your time for uh, and your expertise on Hope Breakfast this morning, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.